So our, our main theme, our main scripture for the last um, few weeks has been Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we've been talking about running your race. In that scripture, in that passage, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, you know, you gotta, you got to run your race. You got to get up. You got to go do something. You got to you can't just sit forever. There's got to be a, a, ch- a time where you stand up and you walk after Christ. And it's really easy to turn this into a, a motivational type of a thing. A rah, rah, Tony Robbins, get up and, you know, live. It, the Bible's not big on that. You might find Bibles at Walmart in the inspirational section. But the Bible's not about just simply motivating you to do something. It's about changing you to be just like Jesus. It's about changing your mind and your heart and everything about you so that you don't think the way that you used to. You don't operate the way that you used to. You don't even want to. You, you fight it. You struggle against it because your flesh might want it. But, but there's this definite change that has happened because you've met the God of the Bible, that you've met Jesus. Before we go into Hebrews chapter 12 and 1 today, I want to read to you a parable. Now, whenever you read parables in the Bible, especially ones from Jesus, understand this. Jesus is using something that we can understand to explain something that our minds just aren't big enough for. The reason why he's got to use a parable is because if he just told us the truth, our heads would explode. Maybe not literally, but but we would just be able to fathom this type of, of, of godly exchange between him and us. We, we don't have the same operating system. He can't, he can't just tell us, like, like this is how it is, because we're just going to have a lot of questions. You know, have you ever tried to explain something to a child? Like, sometimes the simplest things, it just leads to a thousand questions. It doesn't answer their questions. They're just so curious. And, and even when you tell them the truth, they're like, I don't know what any of that means. Explain it all. Okay. So what Jesus does to do that, and he's a, he's a loving God. He's a, a God to be known. He... he he gives us parables. He gives us examples. Things that we do understand to understand things we don't. Um, you'll see him use a lot of uh, references to farming and crops and gardening. How, how simple and how timeless is something like that? In the thousands of years that humankind has existed, everyone has, has, has planted something and watched it grow. Or planted something and watched it not grow. Or, or found uh, found dirt or, or or land that was plentiful or that had you know wouldn't bear anything because it was too rocky or too thorny or it was too beaten down. Timeless, timeless parables and analogies. Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 he uses this parable of the talents. Now this isn't talents like abilities. This is talents like money. It's the parable of money, the parable of of a, a type of currency. And the story that Jesus is trying to explain, what he's trying to explain to uh, his disciples is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Something that is very vast and big and too much for our own little minds to comprehend. If, if Jesus were to fully tell us exactly every intricate detail, how it operates and how God does things. Instead, he says, let me tell you this parable about some people who a manager gave money to. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 14 says this for it the kingdom of heaven if you read in context that's what jesus is talking about will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property to one he gave five talents to another two and to another one to each according to his ability then he went away he he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more so also he had uh, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying master you delivered to me five talents here i have made five talents more his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I want you to highlight that or underline it or circle it or something. Verse 22, and he also who had, two, had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
This is where the story takes a bit of a turn. Verse 24 says, He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, uh, who has will, be, uh, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Jesus, you know, your word, this parable, we could preach a hundred sermons off this one parable, Lord. Father, I'm praying for uh, more than just uh, you know, a way to exegete this or how to properly convey what's been said in the Greek or the Hebrew. I'm praying that the message today that these people that we need to hear is the one that would be conveyed today, the one that would be shared. Your words would be the words that penetrate the deepest part of our hearts and change us. And Father, we pray that ultimately Jesus is most glorified in all of this. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's definitely here a good example and a bad example. Can we all follow with that, right? There's the good guys. They're the ones that were given the five and the two talents or the pieces of money. They went. They did whatever guys with money do. They found a way to make more money with their money, and they doubled what the master had given them. The master had come. He had his property. He got these guys in charge, said, hey, keep things, you know, keep things locked down till I get back. I will be returning, and when I come back, we're going to settle things. So they come back, and the two servants, they're real happy. They took what God had given them, or excuse me, what the man had given them, and 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 did something with it. And 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 the the master says, "Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've you've been able to handle what I gave you. Now that you've proven to me, you can handle even more. Enter into the joy of your master." I alluded to this this morning as we prayed. Our problems get so elevated our 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 circumstances the things we've gone through or, or are going through they get so elevated that that Jesus his grace and mercy the 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 entire bible that speaks of of all of that it just starts to sink as we start to elevate these other things where God's grace and mercy the 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 plan to save you becomes old it becomes no longer exciting. It's no longer relevant. All these other things, these are the things that we need. We need answers to these questions. Instead of, God, you've given us your son. You, you have seen that we are sinners, that you've rightly called us that, but we've been saved by you. you you've taken it upon yourself to die on my behalf so that I don't have to suffer. See, because if, if, if we... If we change the motive of this church from from sinners come in and get saved to people come in and God gives you stuff, we would grow the church so much faster because so many people just want stuff. And that stuff might be healing. It might be good stuff, but it might be bad stuff too. Nonetheless, people would come in not because they are sinners in need of saving, but they're people who just want more stuff. They're people who just want their problems answered. There are people who just want they, – they, they could care less who gives the answer. They just want it. We just got done – Ethan just got done with his um, chemotherapy, right? So it's been three and a half years. I got to tell you, inside the three and a half years, they're like bookends. The day's diagnosed and the day was done. In between those three and a half years, I wanted nothing more for that time to just be done. But I knew that that day, that time had an end date. There was an expiration date to this circumstance. And so we would often pray, Lord, take this from Ethan, but make us strong during this time. Let us not waste this opportunity to grow and be stronger. And we didn't always pray like that. And sometimes it got the best of us and we'd cry out and the wise and all that. 
But we saw how fruitless those times were and how much more fruit was bore when we, when we just set our face to the Lord and said, Lord, have your way. Just help us to have a good testimony, to not compromise our faith, to have integrity, to, to show people that, that when you operate under the grace of Jesus, things aren't perfect. He just gets you through them perfectly. He gets you through them thoroughly, and when you come out the other side, you're stronger. Your, your weakness is made into strength. Now, you've gotten here one character that nobody wants to be. We don't want to be this third character, right? The master already knew there was something up with this guy. Only gave him one talent. He knew something He knew something about this guy. I'm not giving you five, not giving you two. I'm only going to give you one. I'm going to see what you do with this. And, and the guy motivated by fear, goes and buries the money and puts it in the ground. If you are motivated by fear of anything, you're, you're going to end up in a lot of trouble. Fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Don't fear much else. Fear will handle you, control you, and you will make wrong choices to avoid whatever you fear. As Christians, our... our RMO, the way that we operate is that if we live, that's good. But if we die, we go to be with Christ. It's, it's actually a better option for us. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to hurt. I get that. But we have to have a mindset that Jesus had. That, that doing the will of the Father supersedes everything else. Our, our discomfort, our, 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 our own peace our own desires, they get crucified to do what Jesus has called us to do. In this parable, these guys, they were given a job to do, and they didn't go off and do something different. They did what the master told them to do, to take care of what he had given them. And they showed themselves worthy. And the master says, enter into my rest. Enter into my joy. I don't know about you. I like being happy. You guys like being happy? I like being happy. Things make me happy, right? Football season starts next week. Oh, I'm so excited for football season. It's been a long, like, well, however many months it is, six or seven months where there's no football. Then you get preseason games, which it's a lot like kissing your sister. It's not really anything. Uh, preseason is just everybody gets excited, and it's not really anything. It doesn't count. So, but next week, oh, it's going to be so fun, right? I, I come to church, preach a sermon, and then we go see what who's playing that day and what what you know who's winning, who's not winning, and who's beating the Cowboys because that's that's like my number two priority when it comes to football. There are things like that that make me happy, but we're talking about more than that. We're talking about a sense of joy that comes from nothing that we can measure in this world. Happiness based on stuff that we can find in this world will always come and go. Toys come and go. Circumstances come and go. Experiences come and go. You get some good memories, but those hap the happiness comes, the happiness fades. We're talking about a joy that transcends, goes, blows out every experience we could have. So that when we are persecuted, the joy is still there. Bible says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's a byproduct of having the Spirit in you. It's a joy that that takes a lot of hits, but it never goes away. It's always there in some way, shape, or form. And it's not even you choosing to be joyful. It's something that the Spirit manufactures in you. You keep finding, you keep being reminded of, of the things that the Lord has done, especially, chiefly, primarily, that He loves you, that He saved you. It's a really popular message. Another good way to, another good, bad way to build a church. You're all snowflakes, and, and you're so unique, and Jesus loves you. And, and he, he, all this stuff where, where you now are the most important person on the face of the earth. We all love to feel special, right? We all want to feel like our talents, our things, the things we bring to the table are unique to us. And, you know, whatever. But what if? What if we weren't unique? What if we were all the same? What, what, if, what if Jesus died for us collectively. Now, he died for you individually. I get that. But here's the, the route I'm trying to get to. What if you your spiritual gift 
was something like being a janitor for the Lord. Now, I don't mean to pick on janitors. If you're a janitor, do a good job unto the Lord. But what I'm saying is, what if you're not the guy with the big name with selling books or, or leading a lot of people? What if you're just the guy that just does your job well? So nobody, nobody asks for that. Everybody wants to feel unique and special, and, and I bring something to the table. Well, what if you don't? Does Jesus love you any less? Does the, does the cross diminish because of that? No. Jesus still died for you, regardless of how you feel about yourself. You might not feel like the best in the world, and you know what? You're not. Neither am I. We're, we're, there's 7 billion people on this planet. Odds are somebody does something better than you do. But that doesn't change God's love for you. That doesn't change the sacrifice for you, the desire to draw you in, to say things like enter into the joy of your master. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Don't get caught in the trap that I've just got to do this and just endure and put on this self-pious, self-righteous, I'm just going to endure, and if I sacrifice, oh well, type of a mentality. And, and refuse the joy that God brings you in those moments. Because even when you put your, when you're just setting your, you're like, I, I see the tidal wave coming. I, this trial's coming at me. I'm, I, I know it's coming. I can't avoid it. There's no way to get away. You, and you're just like, Ugh. there is still joy to be found in those circumstances. There is still something the Lord is doing in those times to sanctify you, to make you more holy, to make you more like his son, to change you. Because let's face it, we can't, if you've ever tried to change yourself, it's really hard, right? Like to do it and to do it in a lasting way at least. But there is still joy to be, if you're going to go out and feed somebody, there's still joy to be found in that. There's a reward to be found there. You don't worship the reward. You don't, you don't exalt the reward, but you are going to be rewarded. If you serve here at the church, you will be rewarded. Just at the very least, you'll know that God's using you. What a glorious, what a glorious honor. You ever let a kid just do something for you? They want to do it? My kids are still at an age where they want to wash the dishes because they see mom and dad doing it. And they want to, they want to enter into the joy of their parents and help and lend their hand and be a part of what they're doing, there's no other motivation. They don't care about the house being clean. They don't care about, care about there being clean dishes in the cupboard. They want to be a part of what mom and dad are doing. And when you allow them to do that, they feel honored and treasured, and they feel like a joy. They feel this joy that they couldn't get anywhere else. This, this type of childlike faith is what we're called to. We get to go do stuff for Jesus. He calls us, saves us, cleans us up, and now we get to go and serve. Now we get to go find opportunity to help other people, whether it's sharing the gospel, which is number one, whether it's, it's, it's helping those who are less fortunate than us, whether it's, it's just being a godly example during a time where nobody is really focused on God, just having integrity, just, just having moral character. When it, and not just, not just you know American right-wing morality. I'm talking about Jesus' righteousness that only comes from him. It transcends all that. It says that Jesus, for the joy, endured the cross. The joy that he received, not just from doing something good, but for pleasing the Father and bringing sons and daughters to him. He did it, not just out of duty, but he did so because of the great joy he would receive from it. He had a road set before him, and he walked it. So here's my question this morning. What road has been set before you? Maybe you don't know what it is, and that's a whole other sermon. But today, if you do know what road has been set before you, what is it? Are you avoiding it? 
Are you trying to run from it? Are you resisting it? Are you praying it away? Are you kicking against the goads? What are, what are you doing with the road that's been set before you? Because it says that Jesus had this road set before him, and he walked it. He ran it. He did it. He, for us, he set a path for us. He was a trailblazer, a pioneer. He went before us. If you think about maybe a jungle metaphor, clearing the thicket, making a path, he did that so that we might even have the opportunity to follow him. For Jesus, the road was Calvary. For Jesus, it was the hill of the skull, or the, the, the mountain of the skull, Golgotha, where he was going to carry his cross to be nailed to it and then, and then die a horrible death for the sins of the world. That was the road set before him. He carried his cross and he carried it well. Matthew 16 and 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's your cross? What's the, what's the path set before you? You can't avoid carrying your cross. You, you just can't. If you avoid carrying your cross, you're not being a Christian. You, Christians carry crosses. That's what we do. Now, our cross is not the cross of our Savior, but what is your cross? What is that path? What is set before you? Your cross might be persecution. You know, you have to endure some ridicule because you're the only one at your job or the only one in your family that knows Jesus. And you go around them and they start, you know, they start poking fun at you. You can't show up to a function on Sunday because you choose church over their function. They start giving you a hard time. Maybe, maybe in the media, you're not exalted and touted as being the one true way when you know the truth that Jesus is the only way. And so we get mocked and ridiculed. Maybe it's maybe there's some right or something that we get denied because we're Christians and we're not everything else. We're perceived as intolerant. We're perceived as 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 backwoods, old-fashioned. So what? Does any of that change the truth? No. It change the truth. It doesn't change what we're called to do. It doesn't change what what God has commanded us to do through His Word. People can think whatever they want, and they're going to think whatever they want. They mocked and ridiculed Noah for building an ark. They've mocked and ridiculed everybody who's ever served Jesus. So why would it be any different for us? Maybe it's just hardship and trial and loss. We hate losing stuff, right? I mean, I hate, I hate losing stuff. I hate loss. I, I don't hate, like... Not having something, I hate losing it. Like my car keys, can't find my car keys. I've lost them. I don't know where they are. I hate that. I'll tear a house apart to find something if I really, truly desire it and want it and need it. I hate losing stuff. Hey, if I'm foolish and I do something and I lose it, I walk away going, that was dumb. I'm going to try not to do that again. But when there's no explanation as to why I lost something, that can be really hard. And I'm talking about superficial. Now let's talk about life and health and finances. How much harder, how much, how much more endurance do you need during those times? This might be the cross you bear. Have you ever thought to yourself maybe, and you, for those of you who have money, maybe you never thought this, but those of us that don't, they ever thought, am I going to be poor the rest of my life? What if you are? What, what if, what if to, the, to the day you die, you live paycheck to paycheck, you, you have to clip coupons, you, you have to occasionally get food from the food bank, you, you have to buy second rate because you can't afford first, you, you depend on the, the generosity of others, and sharing their garden or sharing some of their blessings. I mean, it, let's just hypothetical. If that was the rest of your life, does that change anything? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. But would it? Be honest with ourselves. I know for me it would be harder. Oh, man. Because I'm an American and I always think that someday, somehow... <laughs> I'm going to be rich. Just, I don't know, magically, it's just going to happen. Just bucket of money, just going to fall out of the sky. I don't know where I got that from. 
I know nobody told me that was going to happen. If anything, they told me the opposite. Maybe TV, maybe movies. I don't know, but what if, what if, what if, if life the way it is right now is the way that life always was? How would you serve Jesus? Would that change something in you? It's a hypothetical. We can't get too honest with our with our answer because it's in walking it out that we prove it. Here's the thing, though. If you're if the answer to that was yes, then you'd be doing it now. If you're not doing that now, then maybe you know the answer. Carrying your cross and walking this path that's been set before us. It must be done. You must follow Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. If you take up your cross and go somewhere else, you're doing it wrong. You've only got half the equation. I've got this cross and I'm going to Starbucks. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me. Hey, Jesus goes to Starbucks, then you can follow him there. But but take up your cross, follow me. Does he take up your cross and 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 you know go to a seminar take up your cross and go to a convention take up your cross and then get into some type of world philosophy it doesn't say take up your cross and 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 just pursue the american dream it says take up your cross and follow me follow jesus follow follow the one that transcends every culture race every every generation he's more than any label we can put on him you can't avoid your cross. You've got to boldly face it. That's what Jesus did. Jesus went to the Garden of the Gethsemane the night before, prayed hard. It says he prayed something like three hours. I can hardly pray three minutes. When, they, when, when you read that part of the story and Peter, James, and John are falling asleep by the tree, that's me. Like I see that and go, okay, I was in the Bible. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be sleeping because it's 3 o'clock in the morning and Jesus is in a garden and he's praying all night and I'm tired. We've been walking all day been ministering to people and he's flipping tables in the temple i'm tired I, that's what that would have been me i don't poke fun at those guys literally that's what i'd be doing too but not jesus jesus is in the garden he's praying to the father let this cup pass for me and we get this little snippet but he says he did this for three hours to where he was sweating drops of blood it was hot yesterday and i was doing some pressure washing and i was sweating a lot no blood came out though like I never bled, I've never sweated like that. I don't know what that looks like, feels like, but he was in so much anguish over what he was about to do. That's what was happening to his body. And so he prayed. And he went to the Father. But he came out of it saying, not my will be done, your will be done. And he went out and he faced what he was going to do. What he had been leading up to for those three and a half years. He went, he endured the floggings and the mockings and the beatings and the spittings and the pulling out of the hair and the crown of thorns and the nails and the cross and the crying out and the mocking. He endured it all. Your cross will not be quick. You know, I don't, I, I marvel at the rest of the world. I wonder what they're like. I wonder what it's like when you go to a, a third world country and you preach the gospel. And, and their need for endurance is so much different than ours. You know, they don't, they don't know where tomorrow's meals will come from. They don't know if they're going to make it through things like dysentery and, and just these debilitating diseases, things like AIDS and, and all these different things that they're suffering through. And then we come in with these simple little messages. I wonder, I wonder what it's like for them. We're over here. I don't know how I'm going to make my second car payment kidding me you have your set the second car these people don't have shoes on their feet that being said that makes us a lot more we 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 like instant gratification one of the reasons why we don't pray is because we don't get what we want immediately we want vending machine Jesus where I put in the prayer coin and I get the stuff out of the machine I put in a8 and I get my prayer answered right away but Jesus doesn't operate on our timetables like that. And if you carry your cross, you're going to carry your cross for a long time. You're just going to you're going to pick it up. You're going to follow after Jesus and who knows how long that's going to be. I know this, it'll be the rest of your life, however many days you have left. That's how long it will be. You can't shorten it. 
You set the cross down, you stop. You can't walk without the cross, otherwise you gotta go back and get it, right? It's gonna be a long time. We need to patiently endure it. Two of the most unattractive words in the English language. Patiently endure. Much of what we're learning is just learning how to wait well. It's just the Lord causing us to, to endure and to, to be built up, to be strengthened, to become more than what we once were. There's a reason why Jesus died for us, us before Jesus is insufficient, not strong enough, not able. We need Jesus. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. He says, what an honor and a comfort to be treading in his steps. If you are following Jesus, do not take lightly the privilege that that is. See, because being a Christian is so much more than just, yeah, one day I decided to follow Jesus. It's, it's more than just a mathematical equation where one plus one equals two. It's the God of the universe awakened you, opened your eyes, just metaphorically punched you in the mouth, and you're like, Oh my gosh, I see myself as I truly am and I am I am not I'm not a child of God. I'm dead in my sin. In that God has awakened you so that you might call out to him, that you might be forgiven. And that if you get to follow Jesus, it's an honor and a privilege. It's not a right. It's not it's not owed to you. You know what's owed to us the Bible says? Hell. The wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we were owed hell. That was our that was our wage. That's the paycheck we should have got. But because of God, because of his mercy, because of his love, because of his grace, because of his great desire to reconcile that which he created to himself, he went and endured a cross for you and I. And now that we get to do that, it's an honor to follow after Christ. Now, the joy is not in carrying the cross. See, we started off talking about joy, then we start talking about carrying a cross. And neither one of those sound very, it doesn't sound like it's a very joyful thing, carrying a cross. And here's the good news. The carrying of the cross is not the joyful part. It's like saying going to the gym, the part where you're lifting the weights and running on the treadmill is a joy. If you do that, you're a weirdo, and we all look at you funny, okay? For me, my favorite part of working out is when I'm done or when I get out of it. That's that, that's where I find the joy. But the hard part, the work of it, it's like, oh, I don't want to be doing this right now. It's hard. When you go through a trial, you don't sit there in the middle of the trial and think, oh, this is so great. My child has cancer. I don't have any money, blah, blah, blah. That's sick and sadistic. That's, just, that's, not, that's not joy. That's something wrong with you. We got to get that checked out. It's not in the carrying of the cross that produces the joy. It's the purpose, the, the meaning behind, and the goal and the reward that is the joy. Jesus despised the shame, set everything else aside, carried his cross for the joy he would receive completing the will of the Father. Jesus' reward, according to Hebrews 2 and 10, was the bringing of many sons and daughters to glory. To be able to say to Christians like you and I, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't come promising you any kind of reward that is um, like a game show. Like there's no door number one. You can't say, well, we gave you salvation, but do you want what's behind door number two? Could be a washing machine. Like it, that's, this isn't, Christianity is not a game show or, a, or, or some type of reality television show. Our reward is being counted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's being forgiven of some of the most horrible things that people could do. You know, what, what have you done that if the rest of us knew that you did it, we'd look at you differently? We shouldn't, and not judging, blah, 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 but that's the reason why you're not sharing it, right? What have you been forgiven for that you're even afraid to speak to other people. You see, this is our great and mighty reward that we received through Jesus. We have received not just not just a, a yeah, 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 you're, you're forgiven. Well, wink of the eye, come on in. A cleansing, a sanctification, a change of who you are. 
you are part of Jesus' reward. Let that kind of just sink in for a minute that one of the reasons why, one of the reasons, not all of the reasons, one of the reasons that Jesus died on a cross was to bring you to himself. He wants you. He desires you. Every one of you. First Peter says that Jesus is long-suffering because he wishes to draw all men unto him. I'm paraphrasing it, something like that, but basically he, he patiently endures sin, awakens you, and challenges you so that you might become his child. He has done everything to fix that bridge between you and him. We, our reward is entering, entering into Jesus' reward. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Now we endure our cross that we might be welcomed into his joy. If our goals as Christians are all about our own fleshly desires and needs, we're doing it wrong. If our strongest desire, and I'm not saying we do this perfectly all the time, because honestly, we're just going to fail over and over and over again. And that's okay as long as we don't stay in that failure. What I mean is, if we can say through much trial and patience and prayer, say, you know what, it's his desire I want above all things. It's his reward that I want above all other rewards. Then you're going in the right direction. But carrying your cross comes at a price. This is, as much as it is a symbol of hope for the Christian, do you know what this literally is? It's a death sentence. This is an instrument of death. People in Rome during Jesus' time, they'd be walking down the street and they would see these crosses and men and women nailed to them for their crimes. And the Roman government did that on purpose because you'd see that and then when it came time for you to break the law, you'd think twice. I don't want to end up like Joe over there on the side of the road nailed to a cross. This is a, this is, it's like an electric chair or, you know, a gas chamber. It's like that was an instrument of death. But see, now we put the symbol of the cross here empty, not because we want to remind people of, you know, execution. We remind people that Jesus endured this cross and got off of this cross and conquered this cross. And that same cross that he was nailed to, we're going to pick up and carry it too, and we're going to conquer that cross someday too. Now what is your cross? What is your path? What's been set before you? What are you trying to avoid? What scares you? What fear comes from some circumstance or some thing that you're going through right now? What is it? Could that be your cross? Just as a side note, I don't think sin is a, is a, a cross to bear. You might be caught up in sin and you need to get control of that. You need to pray. You need to seek some godly counsel. You got to get accountable. You got to uh, do a multitude of things to get through that. But hey, you know, I'm, you know, I keep beating my wife. It's just the cross I got to bear. That's not right. Hey, I keep cheating on my husband. No, that's, that's not a cross to bear. That's sin. That's the reason why you need a cross in the first place. We're talking about thorn in your flesh. We're talking about things, circumstances, times that you're going through that you have no control over. Which you have control over very little. Another side sermon. The point is this. Are you carrying your cross or not? That's your, that's your question to answer. That's your, that's, are you or not? Here's where we can start. Know this. Some of you are tired because you're not carrying your cross, as funny as that sounds. Some of you are tired because you're trying to, 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 to live one way and live another way. You're living one way at church, one way at home, one way at work, one way with these people, one way with that people. You're, you're changing, 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 and you're just exhausted. And you think that that's what it's like to be a Christian. That's not what it's like to be a Christian. A Christian's a Christian no matter what. You're, you're always right here. Your aim, your focus, your goal is right here in the middle. I'm a Christian 
no matter what. Hey, everybody else is doing that. Don't care. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I have a I have a standard that I didn't set that I'm doing my best to fulfill and calling on Jesus to help me conquer. Yeah, but the whole world swears, but you're you're not the whole world anymore. Did Jesus die for nothing? Yeah, but I have to lie to protect myself. That's just fear. You could you can tell that to Jesus one day and see how far that gets you. I'm not I'm not judging you. I'm just saying well, I take it back. I am judging you. Why are you why are you doing that? Why are you living this segmented life? Maybe maybe the people that you admire who are Christians that seem to always be happy and at rest and all that business is because they're just living that life no matter what the circumstances. They're not, they're not changing to fit the environment. They're just like, hey, this is who I am. And I'm going to do my best to love everybody that I can in that moment. The people that I admire, not lifting them up, I'm just saying the people that I look at and go, man, how are they doing that? They're, they're always like that. You see them in different settings and they don't change. They're just... They just love Jesus. And they might find ways to minister to people that are different. I mean, if you've ever tried to minister to somebody in the world, it's really hard. It is. Like, they don't get all of our inside things. Like, they, if you, if I told, when I told you about the parable of the talents, most of you probably got on really quick. Oh, the talents. It's the, he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean talent. He means money. You guys kind of knew that because you've heard it once or twice. But you go out into the world, they don't know what you're talking about. You know? You tell them to love your enemy, they don't understand that. No, hate your enemy. You know, hate your friend. I hate everybody, right? That's kind of world's MO. But carrying your cross, dying in your flesh, is not just hard and arduous. I mean, it can be, but it's about liberation, too. Jesus came to set people free, right? So there should be some freedom experienced as a Christian. just kind of makes sense. If he came to set people free and you're not free, something's wrong. The good news is, is that you can go to the Lord. You can say, Lord, I just, I'm wrong. You don't have to get all King Jamesy English on him. You know, thou art so, like we sang, how great thou art. We never say that. Lord, how great thou art. It's an old song and love it. It's timeless hymn and all that. But we can just, uh, this is generally my prayers. Lord, I'm the worst and you're the best. Like, I could try to, I can try to fluff this up, but I'm just wasting your time and mine. I'm, I'm a sinner. You're a savior. I'm unholy. You're totally holy. I failed here, 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 and here, and you saw it. And I'm sorry. And I don't want to fail in those circumstances again. Please help me. Don't get real complicated. Not to say Father 500 times. Just, Jesus, I need your help, man. I need your help like I never have. That's all about surrender. And some of you don't surrender because of pride, quite frankly. You want to be prideful, you're going to keep hurting people over and over and over again. But if you'll crucify that pride, then you'll be able to surrender. Just give up. No, don't give up to Satan. Don't give up to the world. Don't give up to your flesh. Give up to Jesus. Jesus, I don't know what else to do. Jesus, I don't know what the next step is. Jesus, I don't know how to get through this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What do I do? I surrender. That's why we, that's why we raise our hands in church. Some of you raise your hands because you saw somebody else do it. Well, while the other person's doing it because they're giving up, they're surrendering. International sign of surrender, right? Lord, Forgive me. I, I, I'm vulnerable before you. I'm at your mercy. I've turned my back to the world so that I might face you. That's all it is. But if, you, if your thing is pride, you won't do that. Because pride says don't be vulnerable. Pride says protect yourself. Pride says a whole bunch of stuff. You need to repent. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he came before Jesus. He went out and began to preach to the people, repent, repent, turn away from your sin, turn away from your lifestyle, turn away from your methods, turn away from your religion, and turn to Jesus. You ever read the book of Jeremiah? I'm in the book of Jeremiah right now. There's like 60 chapters. It's really long. It takes a long time. But um, Jeremiah was a prophet sent by the Lord to his people to tell them to repent. 
Repent from your idolatry. Repent from trying to be, be a Jewish nation and a pagan nation. You're, you're trying to, to worship the one true God and worship this God and this false deity and this demon God, and you're trying to mix it all together in the pot of tolerance, and instead you're blaspheming the worship I've called you to. Repent! And they're like, no. Like That's literally their response. No, we're not going to do that. Because we like what we're doing, and we don't like what you're telling us to do. And Jeremiah kept going back. The Lord kept telling him, go back, tell him, repent, repent, repent. God called many prophets to go and do that. You need to repent of things today. You know your life. You know what you're doing. You know what you're caught up in. You need to repent. You need to worship. Wednesday nights we talk about discipleship. Making disciples is what we're supposed to be doing. So on Wednesday nights is our quote-unquote disciple class or discipleship class. And what that means is we're learning what Christians do. You know, what is a Christian's response to voting? What's a Christian's response to uh, living in this country? What's a Christian's response to marital problems or, or giving or, or spiritual gifts? What is, what is a Christian expected to do? You know, we get together, we talk, we share what's going on. And one of those things that we learn about is how to worship. A disciple repents, surrenders, and worships Jesus. There's a woman in Luke chapter 7. She falls at Jesus' feet and starts cleaning his feet with tears. A, I don't know if I've ever cried that much. Maybe once or twice. But she's just at Jesus' feet weeping, using her tears and her hair to just wipe the mud and the gunk and the grossness away from Jesus' feet. Can you imagine doing I don't touch people's feet. I don't know if you guys know that. It's like a thing of mine. I don't, I don't touch my feet. I touch my kids' feet. If my wife needs her feet rubbed, I'll do that. But anybody else, I'm not touching your feet. I don't, I don't know what you got growing there. I'm, I'm just playing the odds, right? But here's this woman with her tears in her hair, and she's just worshiping the Lord. The only thing that mattered is that she was at the feet of her Savior. That's all that mattered. didn't matter if guys like me were standing around going, what is this woman doing? Didn't care. Didn't matter. Now, praise God, we don't have to clean Jesus' feet with our tears and hair. But we do have to worship. We do have to bow down before him because he's our God. And he's worthy of that. You need to love God, but more importantly, you need to be loved back. You know, uh, my hardest thing is not is not telling people to be loved by God or to love God. It's to to be loved back by Him because we get. You ever have somebody just do something nice for you? It kind of freaks you out a little bit. Like, what's your end game here? What's your angle? Why are you being nice to me? Like, why did you just do that? Like, you're suspicious because we've been burned before, right? Because there are people who are con artists. There are people who come out and that's how they can deceive you. They're nice to you. And the next thing you know, there's change missing off your dresser. Like there's, hey, oh, they were so nice and then they took advantage of me. And, and so being loved, we set up these walls. But here's what I'm here to tell you. Pro protect yourself from those who would take advantage of you. But Jesus is not here to take advantage of you. He's here to change you. He's here to challenge you. He's here to forgive you and to love you, but he's not here to cheat you, to pull the rug out from under you and just make you deal with it on your own. He's here to be your God and for you to be his people. Therefore, Hebrews 12 and 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, men and women who did this very thing that we're preaching right now, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Surrender, repent, worship, love, and be loved back. I haven't found another method that ever encapsulates Christianity. No lighting candles, 
not a certain amount of books read in a specific day, not not prayers prayed in a specific direction or at a certain time with a certain holy man, just, just loving Jesus and letting him love you back. Let's stand. I don't want to get too far off topic, but we live in a nation that's been deceived into thinking that the Christian is the majority. Here's what I mean by that. There are lots of people who by name say that they are Christians, and that seemingly makes up a large portion of our nation. But the reality is only a small fraction truly follow Jesus as he is prescribed by his word. They don't just love God or the idea of God. They have come to know Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. They have been born again, as the Bible has said. Have you been born again? If you have not been born again, you're not a Christian. If you have not been born of the Spirit, you've been born of the flesh, but if you have not been born of the Spirit, you're not a Christian. You might be a Christian according to the rest of the world, but you're not a Christian according to what God's Word says. Today's your day to be born again. Today's your day to give your life to Jesus. Whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, we're going to do it again. Newsflash, we'll do this again next Sunday and the following Sunday. And every Sunday, until I can't preach anymore, I'm going to give you opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Pastor, I've been a Christian for 30 years. Yeah, let's make it 30 years in a week. Let's keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, life is hard enough by itself. You have come to give us a great hope. Your word says that you have come to shed a great light to people who have been in darkness. And we have been in darkness and we need you. We live in a, in a culture that does not revere your word, your son, your ways, nothing. We are each going through trials that, that if we shared with everybody, we would just all be weeping over the things that we are going through. But Lord, none of this changes the truth found in your word. Your word says that you came to give life and life more abundant. That you are the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father except through you. That you have come to set free the captives to sin, Satan, and death. That you've carried your cross and you've carried it well, Lord. That you've walked that path before us. And every step was deliberate. And every step was on purpose. And not only did you carry your cross, you conquered the cross. Help us, Lord, to carry our cross. To, to, to even fathom what an honor it is to walk in your footsteps when we fail, Lord, and we will. Lord, may we not beat ourselves up. May we not be our own worst enemy in that, Lord. May we get up under your grace and, and, and see again just how much more we need you. Help us to move forward in your grace again. And Jesus, forgive us. As we said earlier, we've made, we've made your grace so common. We've made your mercy so little. Correct us, Lord. I, honestly, Lord, I don't have a prayer to fix that. We repent of it, and we pray that you would make your grace and mercy exactly what it is. Amazing and beautiful and, 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 and desirable change your people change us lord challenge us make us strong in you in jesus name we pray amen